0: This is Dennis Hopeless, writer of Spider-Woman, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider-Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Be in 1962 last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon oh, The Amazing spider Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and
2: I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Wow, Mark, you're really dramatic today. I'm, I'm feeling the drama, Dan. Are you feeling better from last week? Yeah, I, I'm no longer on the verge of death. I've been upgraded to still alive.
1: Oh, wonderful. Yes. That is a, that is a significantly <laughs> better story there.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for our newest special episode of Amazing Spider Talk and their amazing friends. We're discussing the Spider Woman comic. Yeah, yeah. In this episode, we'll be talking
2: to Dennis Hopeless, who is the, the scripter of Spider-Woman. And, uh, you know, those of you who are reading Spider-Woman post-Spider-Verse probably noticed that there's a new status quo, a new costume, a new tone for the series. So uh, we're going to talk to Dennis about all of that and, uh, and a whole lot more.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I, I didn't think I would be that excited to talk about Spider-Woman, but, I mean, here we are, and it's one of my favorite Spider-Comics running right now. Yeah, Dan,
2: I agree with you. It's it's one of my favorites too. I mean, hey, Ben Yurick. You know, I love me some Ben. Some you know, this is Ben Yurick, and I'm a reporter.
1: One day they'll come out with Ben Yurick the comic, and you'll be like the biggest champion of that book. They kind of did that during Civil War. There was like that front line. Oh yeah, I series. like that series. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it was good. I, I forget if that was Bendis or not, but they covered uh, Speedball and all that. Yeah, you know, Speedball.
1: <laughs> Everybody's you know. favorite.
2: Vital supporting character.
1: Well, he was important to that story. That anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> before, we, before we even lose ourselves before the even interview yes. remember, everybody, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video or image to enhance your listening experience. Before we go on, a, on another tangent mark, let's yes. get right to our interview with Dennis Hopeless.
2: Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Okay, Dan, so here we are with uh, Dennis Hopeless on the other end. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on Amazing Spider-Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, Dennis, we we... Both Dan and I are really huge fans of uh, the new status quo on on Spider Woman, the book that you're writing right now. So uh, we we are, yeah, we're really excited to talk to you about it. Totally.
0: Um, Yeah, it's it's nice to actually have it starting to come out. We had watching during Spider Verse was kind of weird because we were, you know, like telling bits of a larger story right out of the gate. So it's it's been fun to see issue five come out and kind of show off what we had planned all along.
2: Cool. Well, you know, we're going to ask you about that. I I guess to start first at the beginning, I did want to ask you a little bit about how uh, you you came to this book in the first place. I mean, were you pitching a Spider-Woman story and you kind of landed on it? Did someone approach you? What was, I guess, the kind of the genesis of all that?
0: Um, Yeah. Nick Lowe and I worked on Cable and um, X-Force when Marvel Now first kicked up. He was the uh, head of the X office. And so he launched all those X-Books. And so Nick was, Nick was my editor for, the, I think, the first two arcs of Cable and X-Force. And we got along really well. And then he moved on um, and brought in Daniel Ketchum to take over. So I hadn't worked with Nick in a couple of years. And Cable and X-Force ended, and I was doing um, I was finishing up Avengers Undercover, which was supposed to go 15 issues and then got canceled. So I was kind of like looking for my next project I was fi- as I was finishing up the last couple issues of Avengers uh, Undercover. And reached out to some editors and said, hey, I'm available. Let me know if you have anything. And Nick was the first one to call back. And, yeah, he said that they were going to be launching a couple of new Spider-Woman books. um, Because this is when when Silk was in development. I think Dan had, um, like, hinted at the character in Amazing Spider-Man. But she wasn't, uh, hadn't been shown yet. And he asked which character I'd be interested in. Like, did I want to do Jessica Drew or did I want to launch this new thing? Because, you know, it was all still up in the air. This was months and months ago. And um, I love Jessica Drew. I'm a huge Spider-Woman fan. So I immediately said, I want that. Please let me do that. Um, And then he said, okay, great. Well, the first four issues are going to be in the middle of this giant crossover. So Are you cool with (laughs) with, uh, telling big, crazy crossover stories? Our numbers will be great. And um, so, yeah, that was – I'd never done a crossover. Like I'd never really tied into anything at all before. My books were always sort of off on their own at Marvel. So I was excited to try it, and yeah, it took that job.
1: So let's talk about that crossover, Spider-Verse. Uh, what's it like introducing a series as part of a tie-in, and like, what was the planning or notes that you were given in terms of how you fit your story into the other ongoing story?
0: Well, fortunately, they developed it all way ahead of time. Dan had been planning, this is Dan slot had been planning uh, Spider-Verse for a really long time. I actually think it was supposed to happen originally in the middle of his superior Spider-Man run, like he had planned it for there. And then it got pushed for various reasons so they could do different things. So the whole story was really well um, plotted out. And very early on, I was sent the Spider-Verse Bible, which is like a, I don't know, like a 35 page single space just everything that happens in Spider-Verse, where all the characters are from start to finish, you know, all of the inheritors and what their deal was and was told, you know, this is where Silk and Jessica are at different parts of the story. So you've got four issues, you know, like figure out a plot that works in and around this. So it was very much a, an exercise in like dancing around rain, you know, dancing through the raindrops, like, okay, Jess is here at this point and here at this point, how do I tell a story within that, that, You know, like helps push Spider Verse forward, but also Mm -hmm. develops the character and and you know introduces her to Spider Verse readers that we were going after. Um, And it's a very different thing from just developing your own plot or launching a book. You know, normally a number one is all about introducing the character and the the world and the new status quo or whatever. And in this, it was more about who is Jessica Drew within the confines of this big crazy multiversal spider war you know like what is her role to play in that so it was very different it was a lot i think it was probably a lot more right like writing a mini-series like a crossover mini-series than it was like launching an ongoing um but i'd never done either so (laughs) (laughs) i had never done um an ongoing during an event and i'd never done one of those mini-series so i'm just assuming
1: do you, do you feel like uh, the expectations of number one, like relaunching the character, giving them like a status quo, like of a typical number one, like, you know, your story was very much not that, like you just said. Um, do you think that those expectations like hurt the book necessarily? Or do you think, you know, that you were able to have a successful kind of rebooting five issues in like, like you kind of have?
0: Well, it, because we knew what, was, what it was going to be, Like, we kind of had to balance that. It was all very well planned. I know a lot of people that didn't like the Spider Verse stuff or that weren't reading Spider Verse um, were kind of turned off by it. But the whole point of doing it that way was to launch high, you know, launch at better numbers than a Jess book would normally, and to try to, like, characterize her within the confines of something that other people are already reading. So we really wanted to cement her in Spider Verse so that all of those Spider Man readers. Would you know? Would would have a look at the character. So my focus was more on, you know, like how does she fit into this, and how can I make that interesting, and how can I kind of change the character and give the character an arc within that, um, so that we can pull some of these uh, Spider Verse readers over. Now, what I what I didn't anticipate is that that was going to piss off some Jess fans because they had some other expectation, um, but it worked like we, I hear from a lot of fans that we pulled a lot of people over because they liked your voice or they liked the character and that they're going to keep going with us. And from what I can tell, most of the just fans are just really happy. It's over and excited for number five. So as a, like as a strategy to get new readers, I think it worked pretty well. Um, you know, I would, it's hard to look back at stuff that just came out cause you're still kind of close to it. And I would obviously do things a little bit differently with everything If I could start over because I've gone through the process of writing it, but it was was fun. It was, it was a challenge and I had a really good time doing it. It was fun seeing all the other books and like playing in a part part of this huge event that everybody was talking about. So I I don't know that I would, I wouldn't have said no. If I had to do it again, I probably would change some things about about my part, but I wouldn't have said no.
1: I thought your voice really shined through in the book, in, in the sp- your Spider-Verse tie-in. Like, it seemed very crystal clear what kind of a voice we were going to get on this book.
0: Yeah, but that was, that was the thing. Because it's so weird. Like, there was no way I was going to make it a simple story, you know? Like, you've got these other characters that Jess needed to be with at certain times, and she was going to be bouncing through worlds, and, you know, at certain points, she was going to be interacting with, like, the Master Weaver and, and the Inheritors and all these crazy characters. And I, and I had very little... Ability to change that stuff. So I wanted it to be a story about a person who's ordinarily very good at her job, but extremely overwhelmed because she's been put in an, in an awful situation. And so, you know, just as dealing with the fact like she's she's kind of the whole time. She's, like, a behind enemy lines and trying to do her spy thing, but she wasn't given anywhere near enough information, and all of the bad guys are, like, invincible and impossible to stop, and there are all these – what she perceives as like, you know, wet-behind-the-ears noobs who just get themselves in trouble all the time that she's trying to keep from getting killed, mm-hmm. and it's extremely overwhelming, um, and I wanted that pressure – to affect her like that's why our ending is what it is you know like that's why she quits the avengers and it's just i don't want to do this anymore i want to i want to go do something good and heroic that i can wrap my mind around and and like have a normal life within um again so yeah i wanted it to kind of be her little last bit of crazy before she puts that part of her life aside for a while and goes and and does the street level thing
2: Mm. Mm. now um Was the book ever intended to also kind of function as a platform for Silk? I mean, I know you had mentioned earlier that when you were first approached by Nick Lowe, he had kind of came at you with two different ideas. But, I mean, I don't know if it was just how I read the solicits or whatever, but, like, I felt like when the first few issues were being promoted, it was like it's Spider-Woman and also the new Silk, you know? I mean, was that... Kind of like, you know... Yeah, partially just just because Silk's book was not going to launch until after.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, that was the book. I mean, like, Scarlet Spiders had several characters in it other than Scarlet Spider. You know what I mean? Like, those characters allocated to that story. So Silk was allocated to our story. I I presume because the Silk book was scheduled for later. Um, Also, a lot of this stuff, like it's kind of fluid in the planning stages, so they don't Mm -hmm. know exactly what's going to be where. And at the point where I was offered both books or talked to about both books, all that was still up in the air. Like Robbie got, um, silk way, well before the, uh, you know, the book came out, this was all months and months ago. So, um, yeah, I think they just wanted silk to be a major player in one of the books, one of the spider verse side series. And, Spider Woman was the one that it ended up in, so I knew Silk was going to be like a part of the main cast. I actually thought that Spider Gwen and um, Spider Girl—her yeah. name is Spider Girl at this point, right? I don't yes. know. They keep changing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think she may have graduated to Spider Woman or something. Because
0: right. well, they did—that's what they did with May. This yeah. is one thing that's very confusing about writing Spider-Verse is there's so many Spider-characters that you have to try and make sure people understand exactly who you're talking about, like artists, for instance. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that the girl, those girls were going to be a larger part of the book, but because of how uh, Dan's story evolved, there was just less and less room for some of that. So that's why we see, we see them a little bit, and I had a really good time writing them, but they, they don't show up in many places. It, it's weird, like, because my entire plot for all four issues were based on this Bible that was Dan's initial plan stuff changes as you script, you know, like as you go from the, the plot and the planning stages to the actual script in every one of the books, you know, even though they're tied together, they're being written by different people. So things shift and move around. So I think, uh, it was issue three. A lot of the things that I like assumptions I had made about the things in the plot, Dan went a different direction. So you probably noticed in that issue, there's a lot of things that are just directly what happened in Amazing Spider-Man, that issue. Um, and that's because the, the the other version of that that I had written didn't make sense with what Dan did. And there wasn't a time to do much of anything other than just, like, correct it back so that it matched up. So it's an interesting, like, weird jigsaw puzzle where we're all carving different pieces and then slamming them together together. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun, and I think it makes for interesting point-of-view shifts as you read the different books.
1: Can we talk about the cockroach, pal? Because I <laughs> love this, and I want to know where it came from. <laughs> I just – Silk
0: <laughs> – Silk's sort of – I didn't want her to be like just – what Silk or what Jessica thought of her at the beginning. I didn't want her to just be like an over-enthusiastic noob that doesn't understand she's getting other people in trouble. Um, And I ran the risk of her like either just being on the run or annoying people the whole time. I didn't want that to be the case. Uh, So I thought it (laughs) – I don't know. It's. That I wanted her to have someone to talk to, but I couldn't really put anybody in the radiated world, and she needed to be in the radiated world in that moment. So I like the. She's sort of like. Uh, to me, that seems a little bit like Wilson from Castaway. Yeah, but she needed somebody to talk to, and the cockroach was the only living thing around. So that's she glommed onto him.
1: It was uh, one of the highlights of the whole uh, Spider Verse series for me. I have to say. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny the sorts of uh, comments you get. I had a couple of people email me and tell me that the cockroaches surviving a nuclear holocaust was a myth and that that wouldn't happen. And I'm like, did you see the other things that happened in the book?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, never never doubt the tunnel vision of comic book fans. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Spider-Verse, you know, you, obviously the first, the first four issues of the series were, were, were tied in. And then we had issue five, which was kind of this, this brand new beginning. Um, you know, I, I guess first, in terms of the actual um, redesign of the character, you know, I, I, I know Nick, Nick has given some interviews where he's talked about that was kind of a, a mandate from him to kind of, we need to get her in a new costume. Yeah, uh, and it uh, happened
0: very early on. We were, the weird thing about it, all of this happened we were first stuff and uh the second arc at the same time because mainly because you have to wait until Dan's at a certain point before you can kind of get too far in your plotting, you know, for this for exactly the reasons that I mentioned. So we we, we had basic plot ideas for spider-verse and then we had like some some lag time before we could actually start scripting those and that's when we started developing what was going to happen after and uh we had talked about changing the costume during spider-verse like nick really wanted to change the costume and, and launch with a new costume and stuff but we thought it would be too confusing with all these different spider characters running around if jessica drew shows up looking completely different than she's ever looked before like, yeah. we wanted this to be clear, especially in the other books. Hey, this is the same Jessica Drew, so we put it off until issue five. But, yeah, that was part of our very early conversations. And, yeah, Nick hated the old costume because of the, like, vagina triangle. <laughs> uh, so, so we talked We talked about um, what would make more sense. And most of the actual design comes from Chris Anka. Like, that's just he, – he sent us some preliminary designs with a lot of those elements in it, and then we kind of – you know, based on what I wanted to do with the character and stuff editorial liked. And like even Joe Casada did an adjustment on the boots at one point. It was, there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen. Um, But we developed the costume that way. And then Chris came back with what I think is a great design.
1: Can you speak to what it means to you that the design was changed?
0: Like from the original?
1: Well, yeah. But I mean like even more on a personal level, like what, what does that mean for you and for the character?
0: I think it makes sense from the story standpoint. Um, She's kind of putting aside this old version of herself and this like big time Avengers superhero version of herself and and reinventing herself. So it made sense. Um, I actually really like the old costume. Um, And so I was hesitant at first when Nick mentioned wanting to change it, just because I, I think she's a cool character and it's a cool costume, but I love the new one and it, it works and we get to use it as a, you know, she's got a jacket. If she takes off her jacket, she's sort of not in a costume anymore, which is really useful for street level stuff whenever she needs to be incognito. So, um, from a writing standpoint, it's really fun. And it's cool to, to be able to take the character that's been around for, you know, 30, whatever, how many ever years, um, and like take her in, in a, new, a new direction and a new place. Like, I think this will be a big uh, section you know i'm not saying the costume will last forever or this is going to be like the greatest Jessica Drew run of all time but i think we're you know there's a clear distinction between before before this and after this and and this is the new jess kind of so that's I, i'm excited about it i'm happy about it and the reaction has been amazing like
2: the the fan support we're getting is really cool i mean given um the fact that this was kind of planned out in advance i mean were were you or any of the, the you know the guys working on the book caught off guard by the whole controversy with the with the variant cover with with this uh you know back before you know, the the was it the milo Minara cover
0: yeah that was weird for me because because we were doing so much work that no one was going to see for a long time and I, I basically didn't comment on it until long after like until the um the issues are coming out because i'm you know i'm i'm Happened when that controversy uh, – first of all, I didn't see that cover until it was online. Like, yeah. the covers aren't something they run by us as a general rule, you know? Like, that's a marketing thing and has nothing to do with the creative team usually. Um, so they – put it up in previews and it was kind of a perfect storm because it was one of several variant covers and it just happened to be the one that was done and colored when it was time to put the previews ad together. Yeah, yeah. So you had the main cover done and then that was the only other one. Like if Scotty's had been done and that had run, there would have been no controversy. <laughs> right. um, but Scotty's wasn't colored yet. So uh, yeah it was it was just kind of a weird perfect storm of hey we announced this during the Marvel the women of Marvel panel and it's supposed to be one of the new female led books. And then it's got this cover that everyone's up in arms about. Um, And I I had nothing to say. Like I didn't, I had nothing to do with the cover. I had my opinion on the cover was sort of irrelevant. And at the same time I'm writing like these two very not sexy stories simultaneously for Jessica Drew. One, like a big crazy um, interdimensional war story where she's at her wits end and the other one, you know, is like a totally 80s, daredevil, street-level, new costume, you know, just kicking people in the teeth book. And then we've got this controversy. Um, and the – I don't know. It was, it was very strange because it felt like it had very little to do with the book and very little to do with me. But it ran in Entertainment Weekly. You know, like it was a really big thing for a minute. <laughs> um, so that was strange. And I – I was able to weather it. I mean, I wrote Avengers Arena, so it's not like I hadn't been yelled at online before. And this, <laughs> I wasn't being named. I wasn't being. I wasn't the devil in this particular case. Um, so I kind of just sat it out. Like, I, the editors knew what I thought about it and knew, you know, like I made myself clear with Marvel where I stood. But I kind of just let it <laughs> let it go online.
2: Yeah, totally fair. <laughs> um. So I mean I mean you you've 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 used the word street level a lot to talk about, you know, what Jess you know, the new status quo for Jessica. I mean, obviously that's I mean, I think it's the perfect way to, to describe it. So I mean where 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 did this idea to kind of go in this direction come from? I mean, you know, it, it it's it works so well for the character, but I'm just curious this was clearly something you wanted to do from the get-go, right? Yeah. Um
0: That was my my first thing that I pitched was it would be fun to take her back to her roots and do kind of a PI thing, but through the lens of someone who's been like a big badass superhero. Because her early stories, um, she was a PI or you know like running around doing street level stuff, but it, it was also dealing with like I have no memory of my childhood and I maybe used to be a spider. You know, she, there's, there's some really weird stuff going on, with the high evolutionary and stuff, in her original origin, and so those early issues, she's kind of like stranger in a strange land, and the strange land is New York, or L, it was actually L.A. I think, um, and so I, I liked the idea of taking her back to that, and she's a completely different person now. Um, so that was kind of my pitch: is what if Jess? doesn't remember how to be a street-level hero anymore and kind of has to find her feet um, and do all this stuff without, you know, the Avengers app on her cell phone telling her every time there's anything going on in the city. Um, So that was... I thought that would be fun. And and it ended up tying in well to what we did in Spider-Verse. Like, let's give her the crazy and have her stop that and then realize that, oh, there's some crazy at street level, too. You know, she's not... She's dealing with some pretty ridiculous things in this first arc. Like I really wanted to lean into the silly, um, silver age villains like, you know, big wheel and senior Suerte, and all these ridiculous (laughs) costume villains that she has to go up against. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Nick suggested Ben Yurik, um, as a way to kind of to tie into that and, uh, I loved the idea of this old newspaper man in twenty fifteen, like when nobody cares about newspapers yeah. anymore and this dream job that he's got is falling apart and he wants <laughs> something to something to do and something to to latch onto that matters. Um and yeah, that kind of just grew out of that, like all these different ideas.
2: Well as Dan can attest to, I'm probably like Ben Yurik's biggest fan. I I I used to work as a reporter myself, so like, I, I, I'll read Frank Miller's run on Daredevil and, like, I like pump and cheer for the Ben part. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's getting, yeah. he's almost got stabbed with a sigh. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, he's a really um, fun character to write. And I, mean, I like, just like people with an interesting perspective. And I think, in, you know, like a middle aged newspaper man who's, yeah, I mean, his dream job is going away as we speak, is a really interesting perspective. Um, he's not, he's probably not going to go be a celebrity blogger, you know, like he's not going to be able to move very well in that direction. And so what, it, what does he do? And yeah, I, I love, I love their, their relationship is really interesting because these, these two people that's jobs just changed a lot, um, trying to find a way to help people and make the world better. It's, it's really fun.
1: Yeah, you have no idea just how much glee you brought, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I peeled open this book and saw that uh, Ben was in it, and I thought, "Oh well, that's it. Now I'm not going to hear the end of this from Mark."
0: <laughs> yeah, he he plays a big role. He's he's our. Um, I mean, I guess he's kind of like Commissioner Gordon, but I he's just as much like old man Batman in uh, in Batman Beyond. Like he he's. He's he's a big, you know. He's her teammate. He's her her uh, guiding light, and it's they're they're really fun to write together. I also love writing Porcupine, which I know is ridiculous, but <laughs> <laughs> there's something about these people, these these like smaller characters that exist in this world full of gods that that they really interests me.
1: Um. So speaking about like early Spider Woman stories. Mm-hmm. um, you know, high evolutionary and all that stuff. But one of the things I, I recently have gone back and reread a number of them. And one of the things that, you know, when she was introduced, it's kind of, it was a very different time in the country and the way that people were ze- represented in the media, particularly women. Yes. Um, and I, I wonder, uh, as like a male writer writing, like one of the biggest female characters in the Marvel universe, like what I mean, she's got pheromone powers. There's no like overlooking that. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, w- what is your approach in like, um, uh, you know, I don't know how to ask this, but like, there are certain things to be wary of and how you, this character is de- depicted. Um, sure,
0: sure. Um, yeah, and you know, i I think a certain segment of the fan base is going to be offended any time her pheromone powers come up. Sure. Uh, I, I addressed it a little bit during the Spider Verse issues, and I put her in a, you know, <laughs> there's not a worse. It seems seems to me anyway that there there's not a worse uh, replace my double spy situation than having to replace this concubine of an invincible like vampire creature. Sure, <laughs> she was put in a really <laughs> awkward situation where she needed to play this role, but. It's the antithesis of what Jess is at this point, and and it kind of is, you know, it forces her to to use elements of her past and elements of her powers that she's not comfortable with, and that the audience, frankly, isn't comfortable with. Um, and we skirted the line a lot because, probably to some degree, because of the controversy that happened before we got there. Um, but yeah, I I think it's best not to make that the, the main thing about the character, you know, like, and I think Bendis did a good job of it in the, the one from a couple of years ago, the um Agent of sword one where she's embarrassed when she has to use her pheromone powers, you know, she doesn't like it. You, you, she'll, she'll do it if she has to, to save her life. And it, you know, she's willing to, to walk that line if if need be, but ordinarily she'd rather just punch somebody in the face than, you know, squirt out some pheromones and make them fall in love. That's not what she wants to do. Um, so we probably won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, because, yeah, it's just, it's just outdated. Like It's not really necessary. And it's kind of gross.
1: <laughs> I like how you've addressed it so far, having her kind of remark on, on her past and her old costume and and um, how people see her. So I, I think you've been handling it pretty well. So hats off to you.
0: Thank you. Well, and the fact is, I mean, we're writing these books in a time when everything is changing very rapidly. Like the things that, that used to be commonplace in superhero comics, you know, like sexual innuendo and, and um, misogynistic things with the characters, they don't fly anymore. But you get immediate feedback and immediate fan disgust if you cross a line. And it's, it's just it's changed the way we look at these characters. It's changed the way that we look at storytelling and, and what's OK and what's not OK And I think that's great. Like it's, it makes it more difficult because you have to, you know, you have to really think about, okay, what, what is this? What am I saying about the character? What am I, what am I doing with the character? And is this okay? But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's, and so I think that it allows us to have some immediacy with the, you know, the characters ideas about these things too. Like that's, this is how it used to be. And that's not okay with me anymore. And that shouldn't be okay. So I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. Um, at the same time, I'm a white, straight dude. So, you know, like, how much energy do I want to put into my thoughts on, on that stuff? Um, I would rather have a character move past it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, we're, we're not going to delve too deeply into it just because I'd rather have her move on. You know, she, she's, she's going in a different
2: direction. Um, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, are there any specific stories or creative runs? I mean, either Spider Woman or otherwise, that you feel that you're kind of like leaning on as a source of inspiration for this? I mean, you know, you mentioned the Bendis series uh, from a few years back, and you know, you, you you know, we talked a little bit. You mentioned you know Daredevil too. I mean, is that kind of where you see this book? Like, you know, kind of based Sorry, off? Sorry, of you're those... ready to... Uh-oh. Can you hear Can you me, so Dan? You hear me? I hear you.
1: I can hear Uh you both. So um, why don't you just ask the question again, Mark? And uh, at least I'm recording it. And uh, Dennis, you can tell us if you can hear it or not.
2: You there? Uh Uh-oh. Hello?
1: I think we're losing Dennis here. Okay.
2: Still here. Yeah. Can you hear me, Dennis? Hello? Can you guys hear me? We hear you. Um, <laughs> oh man, do you want to disconnect Dan, and try again?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Okay.
0: Hello, hello, hello. I got
2: you. Okay, there you go. Okay, Sorry. all right. <laughs> it only took how many tries? So we all still on? I
1: think. Did we just lose him again?
2: Dennis? Yeah, we lost him.
1: Hello?
0: Hello. All right. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can. Sorry about that, guys.
1: Yeah, it know. happens. You know.
2: <laughs> it's the <It's- sky> internet.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Skype is never reliable. All uh, right, Mark, why don't you take that question one more time?
2: Yeah, and it was I was a, I was asking it in rambling fashion. So let me get let me ask it more succinctly. Um, am I good to go, Dan?
1: Yep, yeah, I'm recording.
2: So, Dennis, I know you want to look forward, but I mean, are there are there any like specific creative runs or storylines or anything that you're kind of using as a source of inspiration and in crafting this? I mean, either. Bendis the Spider-Woman, or you even mentioned Daredevil earlier. Uh, either of those or anything else that you're kind of using to kind of
0: base yeah. the story on? Yeah, my, my Jess, um, a lot of it comes from, well, frankly, a lot of it comes from the most recent um, representations of her. I love what um, Alice Cott's doing in Secret Avengers with her. I really liked what um, Kelly Sue DeConnick did with her in Captain Marvel and in uh, Avengers Assemble. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan, like I think the voice comes more from that stuff than anything. But I fell in love with the character during uh Bendis's run on Avengers and um yeah, whenever he did the Agent of Sword series from a few years ago. All of my early Jess reading came in research for uh for the book. So most of the stuff that I'm drawing from is you know it, I'm inspired more by the stuff that I actually read when it was coming out, which is the newer stuff. And then I'm pulling bits and pieces from the old stuff. But like you say, the comics were a lot different back then. And the character, um, it would be hard to take much of her voice and personality from that early stuff. I think um, I just don't know that it would read, uh, but I'm hoping to bring in some of the weird old, like early villains and, and uh, side characters going forward because that's that's really fun and it's fun to kind of rejuvenate that, that that kind of thing. Um but yeah, Daredevil I think is probably my my touchstone for great street level Marvel stories. So, um and I've always Daredevil was my favorite character always uh Marvel character for a long long time. So, I have stores and stores and stores in my brain of of old Daredevil stories that I'm using. Um but not maybe going back and directly riffing on cuz that would be intimidating.
1: <laughs> so, so Dennis, you've had the uh the great fortune to work with two really wonderful artists on this book. Can yes. can you speak about that and also a uh an additional question um uh were there any challenges in setting the the tone or the uh the character in the book with two different artists? It is
0: very different. Like, Greg. Greg what Greg does um, is fantastic and very, very different from what Javier does. And fortunately, the two different kinds of stories, like, I think the Spider-Verse stuff works really well with what Greg does. Lots of big, you know, like, big, crazy uh, Hollywood-style action and, and weird worlds. And he did just a fantastic job of making it cinematic and real and, and, and big. And uh, he doesn't do like little small moments the same way that Javier does. Like Javier, you know, give Javier a 14-panel page and he'll have all these different facial expressions and stuff. Um, And that's kind of not what Greg does. So I tried to write more to, like, big moments and big crazy action and and, um, old-school superhero punch people in the face stuff with Greg because that's what he likes to draw. Um, And then I would, you know, pack my dialogue into the – into the wide shots and stuff and and not tax him with a bunch of talking heads. And Javier is is sort of the opposite where he loves those little moments. You know, he loves to there's a scene in um, issue six where Jess makes a bowl of cereal in a like a McDonald's cup because she doesn't have any bowls. And he, he just he just kept making more panels of her filling that cereal bowl and it's so awesome. And you know, like not every artist would would want to to do that and would be able to to make that into a thing that's interesting to read. Um, but yeah, that it's important to keep in mind what what your artist likes to draw and what your artist is great at drawing and what um, what you can do uh, to make what you do works with work with what they do. Yeah,
1: so the, the office scene where she hammers through the wall um, yeah. with that uh, very film noir lighting was really wonderful.
0: Yeah, well, and Javier colors himself, so all of that is him. That's that's all him and uh, the anchor whose name escapes me at the moment, but who's fantastic. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because I write the scripts pretty detailed, not because I expect the art to look just like it does in my head, but because that's the only way I can make sure the scene works. So I'll write lots of camera angles and descriptions and stuff. And Javier like watches my movie and then refilms it himself. So every scene, like he makes all these... 14 panel double page spreads out of my, you know, like simple layouts. And when I, when I go in to do the, the lettering edits, I just completely rework the, the script and all the dialogue and stuff to fit his little moments and beats that he writes. It takes forever, but it's, it's like really creatively satisfying to have a co-creator that's, you know, that's changing things up and, and putting a stamp on everything. And I just love how the book looks. And, um, Yeah. And, and, and I love what Greg did too. Greg is, Greg takes a lot of crap online um, because his style is not everybody's favorite thing. Um, But he is a fantastic person to work with. And it's really cool to see like, you know, these nearly photorealistic versions of, of what you, what you asked for. It's like watching the movie version sort of, of, um, of your script, which is a lot of fun. So, it has been interesting to, to, these two guys couldn't be more different stylistically
2: and working with them is, is very different and very fun so dennis i know that you can't divulge too many details for fear of you know marvel probably you know putting you on the firing squad or anything but in terms of secret wars so what's the is the plan for the book i i didn't see spider woman on one of the Books that's gonna go on hiatus, or you know, the world is end. What's what's the plan for for Spider Woman during Secret Wars? In terms, we are of-
0: running. We are running through. I thought it was eleven, but I talked to Nick today, and I, it might be ten. But we but our book runs into Secret Wars a bit and will continue the storyline, um, just as though it took place before that stuff started up, uh, through at least ten, um, and then Secret Wars happens, and I am not continuing just into a Secret Wars book. Mm. Um that doesn't mean that I'm done with Jess. It just means Secret Wars will happen like outside what we're doing. Uh and then during Secret Wars I'm doing two series. One of them is um the Inferno book that's you know takes place in an alternate version of the old X-Men Inferno story. And then another book that hasn't been announced. So I'll be busy with other stuff during Secret Wars and Jess will be doing things during Secret Wars, but we will not be together. Um
2: and then right. Secret Wars plays out, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, considering how you came into this book, I mean, it's just kind of like, what? what, what I mean, what, do you, what are you thinking? When it's like, okay, yeah, we got to, you know, you're going to write this book, but first it's a tie-in, and then you're going to do a new status quo, and then Secret Wars happens. I mean, it's just kind of like, as a creator, what does that do to you?
0: Fortunately that we knew,
2: I knew it was happening, you know, like all stuff was planned out enough
0: that I knew I would basically get the Spider-Verse arc and then the two new Jess arc, you know, like street level arc stories and then Secret Wars would happen. Um, So I knew it was going to happen and I plotted it that way. So I'm really, you know, I'm really happy with the two short arcs. I'm really happy with the Spider-Verse stuff, too. Like, I know I, I complain a lot when I talk about it because it, <laughs> it was difficult. Like, it was a, a real challenge. But I think I'm really happy with, with Jess's voice and, and Jess's, like, the, the change the character goes through. And it was really fun getting to play um, in one of those big events because, you know, you've always read them. And I've just never never gotten a chance to do it. I am happy that I don't have to write a Secret Wars book with Jess coming on the heels of that just because – You know, they're they're a different beast and it'll be nice to just kind of like pause for a minute and let Secret Wars happen Um, and then go do my crazy Secret Wars books with other characters and other things and not have to try and tie it together. Um, But I wouldn't worry about it. If you like what we're doing with the book, uh, there's a good chance that there'll be more of that at some point.
1: Okay. How uh, – speaking of Secret Wars, and I know you can't say anything, but like as a writer, how much do the writers for Marvel know about post-Secret Wars status quos at this point?
0: Well, it depends. I think it depends on what's happening to your book or books or whatever post-Secret Wars. Um, and some of that – I don't know. It's just such a weird thing because of what's ha- – like because of the publishing plan during Secret Wars – um and how it all ties together and you know like uh, the weirdness of battle world we're all busy with other things so like right now i'm writing s- i got a couple more issues of spider woman left to write that don't really ad- address secret wars at all and then i'm knee deep in it on those two other series and they kind of like the two worlds don't don't meet so right. I, from my point of view and because Spider-Woman kind of runs into Secret Wars a little bit, we're just now getting those conversations about what happens next. Because um, it is such a big world-changing bit of crazy. Um, so probably it, it depends editor to editor and writer to writer, and, you know, and what, what particular books you're doing. Because, like, Jason, I don't think Spider-Gwen is affected by Secret Wars at all, except for that it stops for a minute, you know? Um, like, my understanding is his story is, doesn't even touch on it. Um, except you know then the world ends and all the books go away and it'll never happen again but nice. <laughs> <laughs> you really yeah. to talk
2: about this stuff cuz i i only know so much and we're no, not no, like, it, we're, so. we're we're honestly not trying to like pump no, no, it no. people it's, it's just hard it.
0: to it's hard to make an interesting <laughs> point <laughs> about it
1: can I ask you one question about Secret Wars, and I don't really want to go like too deep into the Secret Wars thing here and on sure. that much of a tangent, but it's something that is very unclear to me. And since you're writing two books, it seems like you would likely know. But they've been advertising, you know, Battle World with this map, like this geographic map. Am am I to understand that these multiple different universes take up a physical location? Like if I were to walk from. Uh, California to New Mexico, I would cross the border from Inferno to Spider Island. Yes. That's some crazy stuff.
0: Yes. And, and <laughs> believe it or not, it all makes sense within the story. Okay. Like the, basic, the basic tenets of, the, of Jonathan's story make all of that make sense. Um, and it's, it's... The books, honestly... Well I don't know see i there's so many books, but my books don't have to address that very much like it is it is a fact of the of the world of battle world, but it's not necessarily a massive part of each one of those stories
1: that is some crazy stuff
0: I'm sure it is a massive part of Jonathan's story, but you know he's telling the Secret war story, and like you know the I'm telling the Inferno story. So my story is mostly about my, but my story is mostly like escape from New York. If New York were hell and snake Plissken was Colossus, like that's the story you're getting. If you're reading from, <laughs> um, and and the fact that it takes place on battle world is sort of irrelevant to Colossus. So it's basically irrelevant to the story, you know, Yeah. But, but,
2: but will Infer- your version of Inferno have demon goblin in it? Who I think was I, I, I believe that character was introduced in, uh, in Inferno. Is am I am I misremembering, Dan? Yeah, they, I believe you're right. <laughs> I think there that the, been... the, the sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just you can go right ahead.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of crazy demon nonsense in in my book. Like I, looked up all of that old Inferno stuff. And then said, okay, if this event happened for five years, what sort of crazy shit would be going on in Manhattan five years later? And so all of that weirdness has just been, like, growing and festering in there for five years. And then Colossus is thrown back in. And it is, it is the weirdest thing I've ever been a part of, and it's so much fun.
1: I'm feeling cross-eyed just listening to you talk about this. <laughs> but
0: then the nice thing is you just get to – it's like an action movie. And that's sort of how I first Cable and X-Force, which is the last time I wrote Colossus and Domino and Boom Boom. So it's like a really weird Cable and X-Force story for me. It takes place in hell, more or less. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. (laughs) It's weird, but it's a lot of fun.
1: Well, this is all very exciting. (laughs) Well, Dennis, we want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I I tend to ramble. Hopefully I made some coherent thoughts.
1: (laughs) Fans of the podcast... Are uh, well and used to rambling.
2: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not from not from not from you, but from us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show.
0: Yep. Yeah, thanks, guys.
2: Spider Man and his amazing friend. Well, that was fun, Dan. Right? I, I thought Dennis. Dennis was a good interview. We got some good, some good tidbits. We even got a little bit a little bit of Secret Wars insight.
1: Yeah, and some teases about the future of Spider Woman. I'm I can't wait for the uh, the McDonald's cup cereal scene. Yeah, no, I mean it. It, it definitely sounds like um,
2: he and, and Javier Rodriguez kind of have a symbiotic relationship there. Dennis clearly has a lot of appreciation for this character. Um, you know, it, it is kind of funny to hear him talk about, um, some of his, I don't want to say concerns, but challenges that he faced with Spider-Verse because I feel that in, in our write-ups and our respective sites that kind of came across. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that validates us or not, Dan, but it was, it was interesting.
1: Yeah, it was good. You know what? We haven't really read a lot of his new issues yet. You know, we're still on issue five at the time of this recording, um, but I'm really glad that Marvel is giving some writers a chance to do things like this. I mean, just the very fact that he mentioned that he's writing a scene featuring cereal in a cup, um, for a number of panels, like break, it, it gives me hope. Yeah. Uh, that sounds kind of glib, uh, <laughs> especially given how trivial that subject matter sounds. But like, you know, I, I appreciate a good little bit of drama and, and non Hollywoodness out of the comic. So I, If you aren't picking up Spider-Woman, really is what I'm trying to say, is go check out Spider-Woman, because I I think it's a refreshing comic. Definitely. Especially when discussed from inside of a washing machine. (laughs) No, I kid, because his audio was kind of going in and out there. But that's fine. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview, nevertheless.
2: You you just earned us a four-star rating now with someone commenting on the audio. You realize that, right? Oh,
1: yeah. They're going to put... Uh, it's all All these episodes sound like they're from inside of a washing machine. What's with the dog? Wait, no, wrong wrong interview. <laughs> well, you never know what you're going to get when you interview these people, you know? Uh, but uh, not everybody has the pristine audio setup that I have so strictly enforced on this podcast.
2: Yes, on a computer that was made in
1: 1987.
2: Yeah. Sam, <laughs> why did you bring us home?
1: All right, right. Of course... You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure you leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. Mark, next week we're going to be talking about uh, very particular comics and some of our classic comics look back. What do readers have to look forward to? Uh, yeah,
2: well, uh, you know we're going to be starting our our essential series that we had mentioned uh, on our last podcast, and you know given, given the the narrative of the current spiral series with Jerry Conway, we thought we would uh, kick off our essential series with a, a little three-parter involving the first appearance of a certain rotund mob boss. What rotund mob boss would that be? Are there that many rotund mob bosses in Spider-Man history, Dan? Is
1: it, is it the one played by Vincent D'Onofrio?
2: Yes, not the one played by Michael Clark Duncan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, they both, they
2: both can be Kingpin. Uh, yeah, we're going to be looking at Amazing Spider-Man 50 to 52, which is, you know, the famed Spider-Man No More, and then the fir- uh, then two stories about Kingpin and causing havoc for Spidey. So, uh I think that's going to be some, uh, some good times. And we'll, uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. <laughs>
1: well, you know, if, uh, if you have any feelings about issues 50 to 52, which, you know, are a favorite of many people, please write into us like you can with any questions or opinions to amazingspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. You know, it'd be, it'd be nice to get some uh, listeners' feedback on issues 50 to 52 and, and work it into our conversation.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know where else people can leave us feedback, Then
1: I have no idea, but I bet you're going to tell me.
2: Yes. Well, you know, I'm not reading this off a of script or anything, because that would be, you know, revealing the magic. But we also both have Facebook pages, and you can find them at facebook.com slash Superior Spider Talk and facebook.com slash Amazing. And you know what? These are great places to keep up with us in between shows. And to leave us questions about Amazing Spider-Man number 50 to 52.
1: Absolutely. Just shoot us a message or tweet at us with hashtag ok to print and we'll read your question or comment on the show.
2: Yeah. And also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club and support our show.
1: So, Mark, where can we find you on the Internet this week?
2: Well, you can, of course, find me on www.chasingamazingblog.com. Or on Twitter, at ChasingASMBlog. Um, all uh, this week and next, I'm continuing with uh, my look back at Underworld stories. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, we'll probably have at least two in the bank. Uh, the, the Silvermane story that I wrote about uh, for week one. And then week two, we, we touch upon uh, Jerry Conway's original gang war story involving the first appearance of Hammerhead versus Doc Ock.
1: Is that the one where Hammerhead becomes a ghost? No, 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 no.
2: That that wouldn't come until later. This is this is the very first uh, debut of Hammerhead. Where, and you know what? I totally forgot about this little bit of detail. Apparently, his origin story is you know he like collapses on the street, gets taken in by a mad scientist um, to kind of you know work on him and revive him and put whatever titanium in his in his head. And the reason why he becomes a mobster is because the last thing he sees before going under is a, a poster of a movie with Al Capone.
1: I remember that. I remember that. That's and really hysterical.
2: I, 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 I totally forgot that. And, and when I was rereading it for my post, I was just like, oh, my goodness, Jerry. How 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 Jerry has grown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Dan? Where can we find you?
1: Of course, you can go to superiorspidertalk.com for all the, my Spider-Man writing. It's a little bit of a slow week considering there were no new books. Um, but, you know, we have all the news that's breaking. I know that we have some Secret Wars announcements that you can check out. So uh, come on by and you can follow us on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk or you can follow me at at DanGavazdin where I post more broadly about my movie reviews and stuff. And um I have my other podcast, Movie Dare. And uh last week we tackled Gili, the perennial classic. Yes. Um Uh Where's Karate Kid Three, Dad? Well, you haven't you haven't recommended it to us formally yet, Mark.
2: Um, I certainly did on one of your Facebook posts. So uh oh, well,
1: okay. Um <laughs> Karate Kid Part Three is pending.
2: Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> Uh, So, uh, Mark, we're talking about Spider-Woman here, but that doesn't mean we can forget about Uncle Ben. Yeah, no, I was,
2: uh, you know, hanging out with Uncle Ben and, you know, it was really strange. He kept talking to me uh, and, you know, he seemed like oddly attracted to me. And I was like, dude, you're my Uncle Ben. What's going on? And then I realized, ah, it was my pheromone powers. It wasn't just him being a creepy uncle. No, no, he's not Uncle Ernie. He's Uncle Ben. Okay. Um, And it was my pheromone powers, you know, like, they're always kicking it at the wrong time. Why was I created in the 70s, um, you know, as a female hero, you know, and and as Cheesecake? Um, So, you know, I had to keep those pheromone powers in check because, you know, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk. Okay, that wasn't a total train, right?